Welcome to the neighborhood, Sam. Welcome to the neighborhood, Anthony. Did you de louse before you entered the neighborhood today? Bees! <laughs> uh, it's really important because we have one of the most well-rounded members of the neighborhood I've ever met, Kyle Jordan. Let me tell you about him in just a second. Kyle. Hey, thanks. You are an artist and a scientist. You're so many things. And so many things. Yeah, I, just, I like to be well-rounded. I blame my parents. They made me have a lot of good experiences growing up. They're like, even if you don't like doing it, you're going to do it because it's a good experience. So that actually kind of became a joke around the house. It's going to hurt and it's going to feel good. You're going to love it. Yeah. It can be both. So, Kyle, uh, for the folks at home, give them kind of like the rundown of everything that you do. Everything that I do. Jeez. Um, well, first and foremost, uh, as a profession, I'm a scientist. I'm an entomologist. Uh, so I do product development for um, the largest chemical company in the world. Helping, wow. helping everyone kill bugs, yeah. which a lot of people think is counterintuitive to being a, a nature lover and a scientist. But, you know, once you've seen a million termites eating somebody's house, you feel a little bit less bad about yeah. killing them. Yeah, I can imagine. Keeping gabers and their, and their pets safe and clean. Safe and clean, yeah. And making your, your life uh, quality better. Um, yeah, so I, d- I do that as my gay job. That pays the bills for all my bad habits, like um, <laughs> like buying way too many plants for my yard and uh, and traveling. And I do a lot of um, different types of art projects. Um, we talked earlier about knitting, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I paint, and I do music and performance. So I'm a choreographer. I got into uh, dance when I was in uh, high school a little bit. And then when I sang with the Columbus Gaiman's Chorus, um, we did... A, a set of music called Naked Man, which was a this is a fifteen piece uh, music set that um, has a number in it that really requires dance. And I was asked to do it by the director, who was a good friend of mine because he knew my antics and gymnastics um, from when we sang it together in college. And so that launched me into a lot of dance, a lot of performance, which then evolved into choreography. So that's one of my major hobbies that I do still to this day. Yeah. And, and you work on that um, at, at a high quality level. Uh, Gabrus, he's not, he doesn't just do these things like how we might go around flaunting terms like, oh yeah, I paint or I knit. Or, he does oh these hey, things. I'm a power bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Just light hobbies. I have a I have a raised garden. No, this mm, I have gout. <laughs> I, don't, I know some people who are pretty committed to gout. So <laughs> Kyle does all these things with an exceptional level of I'm better than you at them. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a T-shirt that says it. No, I absolutely don't. <laughs> well, you no. should wear one. If... It's a tattoo. It's a tattoo. <laughs> Uh, and you have a and you are choreographing a show that is coming up soon on the East Coast, right? Yeah. So I I currently live in Raleigh Durham and um, I work with a couple of groups, a couple of theaters there. And so there's a show coming up in April that's a big fundraiser for one of the local theaters. And then um, I'm actually choreographing an original musical that two guys from New York wrote that's going to make its world debut in the professional theater in Raleigh in June. 
How exciting. That is yeah, super it's pretty cool. exciting. Yeah. Broadway excites us. Yeah, Broadway does excite <laughs> us. Shows excite us. Stages, lights. Yeah. Choreographers oh, excite the, us. Oh, my God. I'm drooling. Makeup yeah. and dance belts. Yeah. Um, honey. <laughs> honey. Dinner first. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and uh, I'll bring up something else that you do, which I find super impressive. And I didn't know about you until um, several conversations in. Uh, but uh, what are you doing right now in Detroit? Uh, so yeah, there's that whole aspect. So we, we talk about our, our day jobs and our gay jobs. And so I was the chair of our LGBT employee group at work. And that kind of launched me into a pretty heavy involvement in the LGBT community, just in the workplace and in agriculture, because technically I work in agriculture. Uh, so I am on the uh, executive board for the Cultivating Change Foundation's annual summit, and I'm actually here in Detroit because they have a conference for, guys, it's LGBT everything. It's called Creating Change, and mm-hmm. we talked about some of the, the workshops and caucuses and hospitality suites last night. I mean, there is something for everybody, more than you could ever imagine existed in the gay community. Prisoners and youth and caring for the elderly and being an activist, it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, where there, where even if there are a hundred voices in the room, right? Uh, those voices need to be heard. Mm-hmm. You know, out of out of tens of thousands and, and billions, actually, right? And those voices are important. Uh, we we have really important voices, and one of the ones that I thought that uh, you that you had mentioned that I had never heard of before, but it made great sense was uh, the ones about uh, some of the tra- members of the trans community. Uh, do you want to talk a little about that? Well, sure. Um, so it, they are by far the most marginalized. And I, I actually had an interesting conversation with my Uber driver yesterday on the way back from the airport. Um, in North Carolina, we had HB2 pass a couple years ago, which was the we call the bathroom bill, where you mm-hmm. had to use the restroom that, you know, was associated with the, the sex you were assigned at birth. And so that, that has been a point of contention for anyone who lives in North Carolina for years. And... Um, I actually have colleagues from California and New York who are not allowed to travel to North Carolina on state funds because there's a, a travel ban imposed by their states. They cannot travel to any place that has discriminatory legislation. Mm-hmm. So I always found that interesting. But yeah, at the, at this conference, um, they actually, they it's a great example of where they just make sure that they pay attention to every religious facet, every sexuality facet. Like there's asexual, pansexual, um, there are Latina trans, there are black trans, there are even sub-factions of of those groups that have their own hospitality suites and workshops, which kind of blows my mind because you just, in our world, like we're LGBT, right? But the T is still kind of a very different thing the t is like it's it's like another tree or or another like if you uh think of like a hedge that can be go on and on forever it's it's almost like that where there's there's still someone so many things that we've never thought of and i'm and i'm glad that there is an organization who has people who are thinking about these things um and, and making everyone have uh a good voice and, and, and feel respected and welcome Absolutely. And a lot of big corporations uh, like the one I work for uh, have really started in the past couple of years paying attention to the needs of the trans community and instating, you know, safe spaces and restrooms and locker rooms and things that that provide for for their needs. Yeah. Things that 
that companies like mine have not thought of ever because it's not ever been a, a thing. And something you do with this, with the organization Cultivating Change, with which is part of Creating Change, is that correct? No, it's a completely separate entity. Two entities, yeah. okay. Um, with Cultivating Change, you work with rural uh, professionals and with farmers, right? Yeah, so Cultivating Change unites three different kind of stylos, if you'll forgive the <laughs> analogy of, <laughs> of folks within the ag community. So it, it unites the ag ed folks like 4-H and FFA and the, the uh, ag ed groups. It, it unites the um, industry folks. So like my industry supports the ag industry. So chemical manufacturers, uh, farm machine manufacturers, insurance, legal, um, all the stuff that goes with, you know, people who are not the actual growers, ranchers, and farmers, which is the third third group. So in each of those three groups, there have been advancements in, in recent history. And so what Cultivating Change does is it kind of unites those three groups so that we have that, that front that moves kind of as one unit because you don't want to reinvent the wheel. It's already a challenge enough in the ag community, which is one of the most progressive yet most conservative groups out there. Um, so it, it, it's just it's just an effort to make sure that we are all kind of on the same page and trying to move forward together. What is the what is the area in which they are still in the dark ages? Jeez. Uh, so I just <laughs> I was at the American Farm Bureau conference uh, a couple of weeks ago in New Orleans, gathering some data for a project um, where we're you know we're we're trying to reach out to this this group of people who have never been uh, assessed as far as their thoughts and attitudes and inclusion and uh, and, and progress in, in diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think it's really just the the old boys club mentality. I mean, that's it's still very much uh, part of agriculture where it's, it's supposed to be the white guy on the poster driving the combine, you know, at the the, the feed store, it's even in their advertising, and we're guilty of it too, um, they still convey that, that farmer, the professional farmer as that, you know, sort of graying white guy. And what is there to really be done about that? <laughs> because, I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever met a a farmer of color. And, and so fun fact about me, I went to college in Nebraska, hmm. lot of farm kids uh, with some very interesting opinions on the gays, um, oh, yeah. and as well as horrible opinions on people of color, um, with these rural folks, you know, what are the steps to start sort of bringing them, bringing them into the neighborhood? Well, and that's part of what Cultivating Change wants to do. And uh, as part of that effort, they are actually doing what they call regional caucuses, where they go to these rural communities and they will engage not only the farmers and growers and uh, the industry that supports those folks, but also politicians and decision makers and policymakers who can actually have an impact on um, the way the community functions and recognizes um, diversity. And so they're, they're encouraging those people to make changes by opening their eyes, because a lot of these people haven't even been exposed to you know, the minorities, the underrepresented folks who are in agriculture. And, and they exist, but I'm not I, I, by no means an expert on um, the underrepresented people in, in agriculture. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of uh, isolated in what I do. I don't spend a lot of time uh, face to face with, uh, with the, the 
the growers and ranchers and and, um, farmers. But I can tell you that there are a lot of women who farm. There are a lot of minorities out there who who farm or work on farms, Mm -hmm. even if it's just as seasonal workers. Um, there are a lot of them out there. Uh, there are a lot of trans folks who uh, who farm. Even it's a it's a very therapeutic occupation. Some people just like to get their hands dirty. They like to grow things. Yeah. And if you think about areas like California, where there are a lot of specialty crops, and you have a lot of independent growers who supply farm to table restaurants, for example, there are a lot of smaller operations, and a lot of those are definitely minorities and underrepresented mm, groups. That is so interesting. Yeah. Uh, now. I kind of wanted to dive into the creepies, the crawlies. Oh, so do the I. Bugs. Do it. Do it. Oh, please, please. I want to bug out with you. Sam, <laughs> Kyle has, he's got some pets. You have pets? <laughs> I do have pets. Uh-huh. You didn't bring them with you today, did you? No, they don't like to travel, especially when it's cold. That's totally fair. I understand. <laughs> I may have eaten one, so it's probably safer <laughs> for everyone. Uh, so let's like back back up a bit first. I'm just interested to hear, how did you get into entomology? So evidently, I've always been a bug nerd. Um, my mom loves to tell the story that I used to disappear into the woods for hours, and I would come back, and evidently there were like actually bugs in my pockets. Um, I did entomology in 4-H, and our freezer would be full of you know Ziploc bags full of, of bugs that were waiting to be mounted in a display case and yeah so it's always been an interest and I never thought that I would end up doing it as a profession um, even though you know in 4-H I, I was a winner at the state fair I actually won a national award for entomology and uh, I my plan was to teach at a university teach science to liberal arts folks because the good thing about entomology is that it's relevant to everybody everybody has a bug story. Trust me, I've been to enough parties <laughs> when you say you're an entomologist. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's one time. I'm right. And well, I know. I have a like very, you and your bees. <laughs> I have a complicated history with bees. Okay. Um, folks at home, I have been stung by a lot of bees. And now I mean repeated events, but also just by number of bees. Like they don't just come at me one at a time. It'll be like, oh, Sam is... Uh, taken down the wood fence that lines his parents' driveway and uh, take take a, an axe to a fence post and, oh, there's a hive of bees inside. I'm being attacked by a hive of bees. What is happening? Um, you'd think after a couple times you'd start looking first. After several hives, you know? <laughs> that's, now, that's really good advice from a professional. Yes, from a professional. Look for bees. Thank you so much, Kyle. I think my problem with bees is just basically solved at this point. Um, no, does it I, stop hurting after a while? Does it stop hurting? Well, honestly, like the outer at least half inch of my of my flesh is now just completely numb. Okay. Um, I can feel nothing after the ground bee attack of 1999. That was a bad one. That I, was a bad one. My I'm, entire face was covered in plaster. I'm surprised you don't have a superpower by now. I'm honestly. honest. Well, <laughs> I don't have or a maybe superpower. Maybe you do. You just <laughs> but I have grown a stinger. <laughs> I've seen it. It's real. It's I thought you were where, just happy to see us. No, no, no. The the shocking part is it's not where you'd expect it to be. Can <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us some about your little buddies that you have living with you at home? My little buddies. Uh, yeah. So right now, I, I really only have the uh, the giant African millipedes at home. Giant yeah. African millipedes. Yeah, it's every kid's dream, right? Yeah. To have foot long millipedes uh, in their house. That sounds foot so long, much fun. what inch wide? 
Yeah, they're they're pretty cool. They're they're like a conduit to basically. Oh, th- is that the I, conduit I, to what? Fear factor? <laughs> <laughs> what were you gonna ask? Deflect. Temple of Doom. Uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. When um, the the female character, the actress, puts her hand into that that thing to release Indy from being crushed, right, or from being locked in that chamber. And she pulls her hand, she withdraws her hand, and there's a, a millipede. Is that the kind of Is it have? a millipede or a centipede? I don't remember I don't, the I scene. I don't know. Yeah, so centipedes, are, centipedes are pretty freaky. Like, they're fast, and they're predators, and they can they can bite. And, uh, yeah, yeah it's terrifying. It, we get them here. Yeah, and uh, millipedes are just slow and laid back, and they just feed on organic gunk and are pretty... Pretty chill. And yours are chill. You told me they eat melon and sweet yeah, I've seen mine cucumber, cucumber and sweet potato. Yeah, oh, cute. That's cute. Yeah, they're super cute. Do you name them? Didn't name them because actually really difficult to, to tell apart. Oh, probably impossible. <laughs> I'm sure they can tell each other apart, but I, I can't. Do you consider like painting them for easier? Like for easier identification, like little numbers or racing stripes or something? We, you know, we do that in the lab to identify individuals, but I have not brought a paint pen home to decorate my millipedes. I know a person who decorates snails in her neighborhood to protect them and to identify them. But oh, yeah, yeah. like for, so people will see them yeah, and so crush like them? She, yeah, she paints them in like glow collars and, and all these fancy designs. Yeah. That's fun. But, Have uh, you had any other insect pets? Yeah. So, uh, of course, growing up, I did hissing cockroaches, which is... Oh, it's the favorite. Yeah, pretty cliche for a, a entomology nerd. They really hiss? They do. Yeah, it's a they defensive do. mechanism. They're super cute. Actually, uh, in college... Uh, no one on my floor wanted to take care of their hissing cockroaches for their entomology class. Mm. So they all gave them to me and I would like play with them and had a little circus of hissing cockroaches. It was super fun. They're very sweet. Being adorable with your little pets. Being adorable with the only pets allowed in the dorm. (laughs) I was very starved for attention and intimacy. Uh So uh, turn to a shelf full of hissing cockroaches. To a shelf full of hissing yeah. cockroaches. And let me tell you, they taught me how to handle myself at a gay bar. When someone starts mouthing off on me, I just go, <laughs> Sam's a hisser. I'm a hisser. <laughs> Kyle, what about uh, things that people like, like butterflies? Do you ever raise those? I've never raised butterflies. I'm trying to think if there's anything cute and fuzzy that I've raised. Okay, but what's ugly and terrifying that you've raised? Well, cockroaches are pretty gross. I mean, as an entomologist, there are a few things that I just kind of wrinkle my nose at. Cockroaches are one. Um, Ticks, anything that feeds blood Ah. is pretty gross. Yeah, ticks are nasty. No, are spiders like a different... So spider subset for you. Yeah, spiders are arachnids, and they by default fall into entomology, but there are people who tend to specialize in spiders. Spiders are a tough. Group. Are they weird people? Um, I don't know. My best friend in grad school was an arachnologist, and he was okay. pretty cool. But okay. There are because a lot of entomologists that are who are weird just. To, I know, figured, to start no, with. I'm like, I mean, we're in entomology to start, which I figure draws quite the, uh, shall we say, eclectic crowd. It does. And you're not um, very, you don't come across, you come across as being this handsome man, very put together, well-dressed. Is my mother paying you for this? I swear. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She is, okay. We don't come cheap. Uh, yeah, and she also wants me to know when you're going to get married, but we're, and have kids, oh give her grandchildren, gosh. but I, 
I'm not going to ask that question. Oh, my God. My last birthday card from her was like, oh, thank you, blah, 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 because I just visited. Oh, thank you, blah, blah, blah. It was so great to see you. It's a shame that you don't have anyone to share your life with. I was like, like, Mom, you're not even Jewish. I'm like, what is happening here? Thanks, Mom. Love you, too. I'm sharing it with friends and being quite fulfilled. (laughs) Thank you, Mom. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, That's Every time I see my mom, that's what she brings up, kids. Like, I wish Mm. I had some grandkids running around right now. Luckily, my mom is a cat person, and I have two cats, so she seems to be satisfied with that. Besides, my brother has three children, and they, my parents provide the primary child care for them. I think they have their fill of kids. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Um, I have a tick story. You have a tick story. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. This, that's where we're going. Um, one of the biggest nightmare experiences of my life had me in fear for days. Um, so I had gotten back from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and... Maybe two days after returning uh, from that trip, which was delightful, uh, beautiful city, loved the woods and the mountains there, mm-hmm. uh, Signal Mountain, just one of the most stunning places I've been to in the United States. And uh, I went to go, uh, I went to get waxed. I get uh, everything As one below does. the waist yeah. and around. Uh, they call it a Brazilian wax. Do that. On the streets, yeah. On the streets. Um, you know, I've heard of that before. And uh, the... Uh, the professional who does my waxing um, every couple of months said, oh my God, there's a tick on your thigh. It was in my groin, like on my inner thigh, like it had somehow c- came back with me and it had not burrowed itself, but she removed it with hot wax. She poured hot wax on it and pulled it off immediately. And so I was afraid for days, you know, I was looking for the uh, classic the bullseye. bullseye yeah. So you, it hadn't actually bit you? No. It was just hanging out? Just hanging out. It was, it was aiming to bite. Yeah, yeah. That's surprising to me that it wouldn't bite you. Yeah, after a couple of days. Um, yeah, they like... Waste. I don't think it was there for a couple of days. I think it came through with my luggage and then just got into my house oh, and found its way. I just way. thought it was hanging in your... Uh, Could you imagine? Hanging in your cootie cooch. It was hanging on the fence. Sitting just on the fence of whether I wanted to bite. The, enjoying the... Enjoying a nice steam. Well, yes. I, would, <laughs> I would do the same <laughs> if I were able to sit on my own groin, so... <laughs> So, anyway. so, so, so back to uh, back to bug people. Um, so, who are the weirdest bug people, though? I mean, is there like a field of entomology that you're like, oh, they're they're a different breed of entomologists? Um, the theoretical folks, like in college, I I, I would like have theoretical to theoretical bugs, not theoretical bugs, but like theoretical, like the the use social the sociality of insects and how that evolved, like the evolution sort of people. <sighs> always have kind of a, a quirky personality. Um, a lot of times they're very, very smart um, because they sit around and theorize and talk about, you know, that stuff all day. But, um, yeah, they, they're probably the, the quirkiest. Well, what are the, some of the things they, they theorize? What are they, do you have any interesting stories about how maybe some kind of insect has evolved? Well, I don't know how boring you want to make this. <laughs> this is not boring at all. This is actually really fascinating. But there, there are a lot of uh, of hypotheses about, for example, how wings evolved in, in insects. Mm. There, you know, they could have evolved from limbs. They could have evolved from uh, exoskeletal protrusions. And so there, there, there are a variety of camps on a lot of facets of insect physiology and mm-hmm. evolution and all that. Um, so as a specific example, um, I don't know, they, there are also a lot of hypotheses about how true social insects like bees and termites and um, 
those insects came to be yeah. social. And I mean, it's actually a genetic advantage for them to live in colonies and be, you know, a quarter related or half related or three quarters related to a sibling or a, a parent. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't give you an example of one of the weird things that they hypothesize, but there's a lot to, to think about in entomology. Uh, we use a lot of examples of insect physiology to you know, apply even to human physiology, and there's a lot to learn from it, which is, which is good. I think we still have a lot of untapped resources there, which is why it's important to still study entomology. Um, but, yeah, it's... So, so as, as members of the neighborhood. Uh, it's important to us to be good stewards of our environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we've chatted before this, uh, I sort of got the sense that like that's that's your goal as well is is how to be even with pesticides. Like it seems counterintuitive that that is good stewardship of the world around us. But can you talk about sort of like what you do and why it's important? Yeah. So a lot of people hear pesticide or chemical and they immediately go to negative and. We do a lot of work, a lot of research into developing chemicals that either the, the active ingredient itself targets insects or a specific group of insects, um, uh, chemicals that mess with their ability to molt their exoskeleton or develop from a larva into a pupa. And so it's stuff that will never impact a, a mammal or a human, um, or we've created formulations that are applied as a, a bait, for example, that is attractive to a certain type of insect. So it's either the, the chemistry or the formulation of that chemistry that, that really targets a, a specific group of things. So um, that alone um, helps with the stewardship because you're applying stuff that is not toxic to people or is a lot less toxic and you're applying it in a method where people are not going to be coming into contact with it in cracks and crevices where insects live and feed. Um, but we also do a lot of work just developing the, the dosage and the application methods. And so when we, when we spend millions of dollars to get these products registered, we do a lot of research into exactly how much should be applied, how often and where it should be applied. And it's when people use it in the wrong places or at the wrong doses because they think, oh, hey, if this is effective, maybe twice as much will be effective. And that's not actually the case in a, in a lot of situations. Such as medicine for humans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like when I bug bombed my crotch when I got crabs, you know, application, location, very important. Very important. And choosing the right active ingredient and formulation. I have to say that you probably should have gone with a different <laughs> different method. You that shouldn't have used a bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the chemical burns are almost gone. Yeah. So it's only been a few years. Yeah. What so, about what about the pesticides that they put on food? Uh, does it make you afraid to, to eat, um, you know, vegetables and fruits because you think, oh, there's been pesticides if it's not organic, right? No, I, I'm not a big proponent of organic stuff. I think just because something is organic doesn't mean that there aren't chemicals. A lot of people think that natural, it means safe. And there are a lot of toxic natural chemicals out there. A lot of plants, you know, create secondary um, chemicals that protect them from insects and that they're toxic. Uh, tobacco is one. Nicotine is actually an insecticide that we hmm. use. The neonicotinoids, which caused a huge yeah. stir, you know, with the pollinators, um, those are derived from nicotine that are, that is naturally found. So um, when you eat something that you believe is, uh, has been treated, just 
if you rinse it, if you peel it, that gets rid of practically all of the chemical that's been applied to it. When I feed okay. my millipedes cucumbers, I always remove the peel because, yeah. you know, just in case it's something that they happen to be super sensitive to, I don't want my poor little millipedes to die just because <laughs> they've eaten the skin of a cucumber that's been you, treated. You love those little guys. I do. They're super fun. And what about guys? Are you, are you or anyone, any of your colleagues in your company doing work to, to promote uh, bee colonies that save the bees? We do, actually. Um, we... On all of our neonicotinoid products, for example, we have a special box that reminds people that they need to not apply it when plants are flowering and you know use oh. it use it responsibly, keeping um, the pollinators in mind. But yeah, we we actually are you know part of task forces and a lot of discussions with the EPA and other manufacturers. Um, we use education a lot. One of the things that my my company prides itself on is actually teaching our customers or the users of our products how to use them responsibly and so our sales team our, our tech team um, does a lot of uh, speaking and training at some of the larger pest control companies and at conferences and uh, and, and training meetings so we like to to make sure that that the people who are using our products use them responsibly so that the products aren't pulled or restricted or so I think it's interesting you said not to apply the product when the when the plant is flowering so that after like the the fruiting body has developed or after the flower has bl finished blossoming. So neonicotinoids specifically are highly water soluble. So if you mix them with water or if it rains shortly after a plant can take up the neonicotinoid to become systemic and okay. pass through the plant's tissue. So if it's passing to the plant's tissue, the plant blooms and bees visit the blooms, they can pick up lethal doses or intoxicating doses of oh. a neonicotinoid. So if, if you apply it around plants that you know are going to flower, um, usually there's a window of about 30 days that you want to, to avoid to causing problems with the pollinators. That's really good. I, I never knew that. Yeah. In some cases, systemic insecticides are really, really good because anything that munches on leaves or sucks the, the plant sap um, will die because they ingest it. But in, in that case, you know, it also impacts things that visit the flowers. So what are steps like, like Anthony referenced before, the bees are dying. You know, what are things that, and, and I'm sure there are all sorts of environmental impacts <laughs> of human behavior. Uh, now, you said your specialty is sort of urban entomology, mm -hmm. human interactions with insects. Uh, what can we do to foster a healthier relationship with our insect pals? Uh, well, you and I just chatted briefly before this about my master's work, which looked at the knowledge of, in, of insects that people have and how that impacted their attitudes and then how that impacted their attitude towards chemical use. Uh, a lot of people... Admittedly, you know, they seem to know that they don't know much about insects. And so not making knee-jerk reactions when you find a bug in your house, like, oh, my God, it's an infestation, and applying chemicals or calling the pest control company when it means that that bug just wandered in on flowers or, you know, there's a crack underneath your door or it flew in when you, you know, open the door. Um, so not making knee-jerk reactions um, there. Uh, it also helps just to be responsible if you uh, if you have a yard, plant stuff that's pollinator friendly, um, plant a butterfly garden, plant host plants. Um, there are a lot of plants that uh, butterflies, you know, for example, will only lay their eggs on those plants because the caterpillars only feed on those plants. Um, milkweed is one for monarchs, um, parsley, dill, and fennel for black swallowtails, and pipevine for the pipevine swallowtails. So you can do some some research where, where it comes to that because um, 
habitat destruction is a huge factor in uh, the health of urban ecosystems. And so by providing oases, you're even you're even playing a big part in that. Hmm. That's really special. I'm ready to play my part this summer. Are you? I know. I'm ready to like plant my little herb garden, get some dill, some fennel, black swallowtails. Mm-hmm. What I, what is a black swallowtail? Uh, is it a really pretty butterfly? Yeah, they're really pretty. Do you are you familiar with the tiger swallowtail? It's yellow with the black stripes yeah, and the know, maybe. little tails. They're ah. they're pretty common. And there's the eastern tiger swallowtail in this area. It's just, it's a it's in that same genus, but it's primarily black with gold and blue spots along the borders of their wings. Okay. Yeah, they're really cool. Pipevine swallowtails are beautiful as well. They've got like this metallic green sheen to them. They're yeah, they're pretty awesome. I, I just want to like frolic through a field with you at some point <laughs> and like make you point out all of all of the bugs I'm seeing. That sounds like a perfect afternoon. It really like, does. We'll bring a, like a gorgeous little wicker picnic basket. Yes. Well, I'll dress super cute. Go yes. through a field, maybe Belle Isle, maybe somewhere in in North Carolina because uh, you just guys have like more biodiversity. We there. do, yeah. Lots of gingham, yeah. I can see it. Gingham, maybe so everywhere. everywhere. Gingham everywhere. A gingham trains on the back of our whatever we're wearing. I love we're that. We're going in gowns. Can I get a gingham overall bustle? shorts? <laughs> overall shorts. Short tails. Is that what they're called? Uh, I'm gonna the, wear overalls, the, the so I look I look good in them. Yes, yeah, rompers. But Sam's gonna wear one with like a forty foot long train. Obviously, like, like in Priscilla from the. the mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're gonna learn everything. It's gonna be a scouting mission. I love mm, scout. <laughs> <laughs> you look like your name could be Scout. My name should be Scout? No, like, you you know, like, if we were to come up with a pet name for you. Okay. When we were, <laughs> when we were in Weeblos together. Do you know what Weeblos is, Sam? I, it's like Boy Scouts, right? Yeah, it's like. For it's the, like for many, the wee ones. It's yeah. like, it's for, like, little kid Boy Scouts. Yeah. Tiger, is it before Tiger Cubs? No, it's after that. After it, Tiger it, Cubs, okay. Yeah. I don't. I tried to join back in the day, but there were so few boys my age when, you know, we couldn't, you know, we didn't have critical mass to make a, a club. That's so sad. Yeah, it was sad. I uh, I was forced to join the Catholic version of Boy Scouts. Oh. Uh, not <laughs> as fun, actually. Uh, a lot of focus Sleepovers on Sleepovers are like, good, though, right? Oh, <laughs> I wish. We actually weren't allowed to sleep over. Um, yeah, no, very Nothing is allowed. like 1940s priest who's very scary. Um yeah. Like he was yeah. stuck in the 1940s <laughs> or he was born I in the wish. 1940s. He was in I black and wish. white. <laughs> no, he was this like, he was ancient during World War II. We don't need to get into it, but it was this whole like World War II, like young men. And now they love Jesus. And now you can love Jesus. It was a whole thing. It was a whole Sam thing. grew up in a cult. I did. I did. Lucky it for him. Super fun. Um, it was actually, no. I was stung by bees at the cult, though. Full circle. In my in nice. my very full, long history of being stung by bees. <laughs> um, I am still waiting for the superpower, though. Have you, Kyle, have you ever been stung or bitten by anything while doing field research? Uh, yeah. Uh, a huge variety of things. Tarantula hawks, um, yellow Whoa. jackets, bumblebees. Wait, tarantula hawk? Paws. Oh, yeah. It's this giant wasp that um, hunts tarantulas. That's and, terrifying. <gasps> yeah. And a cicada killer, actually. So you know what cicadas? The we locusts. have cicadas. Yeah. Okay. Cicadas I got yelled at because evidently cicadas aren't called cicadas. This was in New Orleans a couple weeks ago. They're not called that here. They're called locusts. 
Is it the same from thing? the Bible? Well, um, no, locusts are a completely different thing. They're a type of grasshopper, basically. Yeah, I yeah. So. Oh, so, you got a know-it-all tell you that. Well, so so it's interesting because even in Ohio, a lot of people call them locusts. Anyway, uh, there are wasps that are big enough to hunt cicadas, and they sting them and paralyze them, bury them in the ground, and lay an egg on them, and their larvae eat the cicadas. Uh, so I've been stung by one of those, and that was pretty painful too. Where do you even find those? Uh, cicada, uh, you know, I don't know where their northern limit is to their range, but they definitely live in Atlanta and North Carolina. So you were, so the, where were you when that happened? At, in my place in Atlanta. So the first one was a tarantula hawk. Yeah. The second one. What, like describe. What does it look like? There what, are these. Like, what is it? What is the size? I want to know it when I see it. I'm like, oh my God, you guys, that's got to be a tarantula hawk. So they're, they're, I think, are like two to three inches long. Um, they're like dark black green and and very leggy. And they're, I mean, they're pretty mean looking. Um yeah, and so I was lucky enough to catch one in a net and stupid enough to try to get it out of the net with my bare hands <laughs> is what it comes down to. Where do you catch one of those? Those, those live out west. Okay. This was in Nevada, I believe. Did it lay an egg on you? It did not lay an egg on me. No. It laid an egg I don't think I convinced him. it that I was a tarantula. Okay. Okay, what else have you been bit by? Uh Let's see. I was stung by honeybees, bumblebees, yellow jackets, hornets. That I actually got sick. I was stung by three hornets. So unlike you, I seem to be more sensitive to the sting. So I got stung by three hornets one time, and I was so physically sick the next day. I remember it was in August because it was during the Ohio State Fair. I had to get up in front of you know all the people in the the junior fair building and give and do a demonstration um, where you do like a. 10 minute talk about something and I was physically sick like I threw up when I got out of the oh, car no. and my parents are like oh it's probably just nerves and then I was <laughs> after this after the speech I was still really sick and they're like oh maybe it was the three hornets that stung you yesterday <laughs> I was like you think but maybe maybe I mean maybe not. maybe not I mean I guess I probably do probably have like a pretty severe reaction to being stung by hornets but bloating is just such a natural part of my day that I don't think that anyone <laughs> really recognizes the difference. But vomiting, is that also part of your normal day? Um, that, feeling, that would clue you in that something might be wrong. If I'm feeling bulimic that okay. day, usually it's just violent diarrhea, though. <laughs> okay. And again... Projectile diarrhea. Projectile diarrhea is sort of just part of my daily routine. So, you know, it's kind of just par for the course. Okay, what else? Have you been swarmed by anything? Uh, n- not as far as stinging insects. No, <laughs> just mad. Oh my god! Well, <laughs> I wish. What have you been swarmed by? Because that's to me, that's just as bad. Might as well kill myself. So there right? are these uh, these tiny biting flies. They they're called punkies or noceums because they're so small and you, you really just can't see them when they they're uh, they're, you know, they're swarming around you and they will actually like climb down the hairs of your arm and and bite you. <laughs> And black flies are pretty awful too. Oh, I've been bit by those. By black flies? Yeah, yeah. they're they're a thing up here. They're not so much in the in the south. Black flies like hell. Is that like a horse fly. A horse. Is it yeah, the same oh, thing? horse flies and deer flies are also awful. The reason they're so awful, unlike mosquitoes and and like piercing sucking blood feeders, horse flies and deer flies have like saws as mouth parts, and they slice you open, and the the blood puddles, and they they drink the blood. So that's, that's by a thousand cuts. It's. Yeah, that's why it's so freaking painful to get bitten by one of those. It's horrifying. Yeah. What a nightmare. So are, are there any bugs that give you nightmares? Like, you're just like, that bug freaking scares me. Not really, no. Um, I have colleagues who get freaked out by house centipedes. Do you 
Get okay. Things. Like super crazy long legs. Like yeah, we have a ton here. We yeah. uh, we get um, we get a lot of those. And so I'll never forget. A few years ago, I had just washed and ironed all my bedding. <laughs> I, I like ironing my bed sheets, pillowcases, everything. Every time I wash my my bed linens, so weekly, every seven to ten days, wash them and I iron them. Make an immaculate bed. It's my favorite thing. I had just completed doing that. I went and grabbed some coffee, went back in the bedroom to admire my handiwork. And there on my pillow was a giant centipede, one of those brown house centipedes. Mm -hmm. Just, and it looked at me and it didn't move. (laughs) Stared you down. Like, do it. Go ahead. Go ahead. See, I'll crawl up you so fast, you fucker. (laughs) And well, I I apprehended the the culprit and I called out a. Company right away came. Uh-huh. Super hot guy came. Really? That saved my house. Not the norm in the pest control industry. No, no. Oh, I know he was the exception. Super cute. Actually, that was like three years ago. I have not seen any insects. But you still call. You still call. I, I think this year I'll need to because towards the end of last summer, I did see a couple uh, bad boys. Mm. So I'm going to have to uh, mm. call. We, have you heard of fish flies? Yes. Because we get them here. Fish flies, like mayflies or the neuropteran? Sam, you know those ones that, uh, especially around St. Clair Shores um, and and around Lake St. Clair, and they swarm the entire city in all... No, I don't. Yeah, they're they're these brown... We call them fish flies, and they cover homes and cars. He's talking about. And they don't bite you or anything. They might be a mayfly. I think it's probably mayfly. Yeah, they they emerge. And they're crunchy. The the wings are held up above their yeah. back. I'm demonstrating. So. <laughs> yeah, he is demonstrating. <laughs> yeah, they're probably mayflies. Yeah, they are. They have aquatic uh, immature stage, and they emerge in huge, huge numbers all at once. And um, here's a fun. See, this I told you I would geek out. A fun fact about mayflies: the order is called Ephemeroptera because the adults live for only like a day. They're very, very short lived, and so they're ephemeral. And, uh, yeah, that's what the name that's of the That's so order interesting. You're full of fun facts, Yeah, Kyle. that's what happens when you get degrees in entomology. You have so much <laughs> useless knowledge that comes out only during podcasts and drunken conversations at parties. I love that. I I'm love so glad that. I brought it up then. Yeah. So then we were talking about, like, do any bugs freak you out? Do you have a favorite bug? Uh, yeah, I kind of stole my favorite bug from uh, my office mate in grad school because she was a tiger beetle fanatic. But... Um, if you have a chance, uh, listeners, Google tiger beetle. They are these amazingly beautiful, like bright metallic colors. They're they're predators, so they're really fast. They're like they're like this, the the big game of the entomology world because they're hard as hell to catch. They they like they fly and then they run and um, and but they're just really beautiful. And my favorite species is uh, is um, japonica. It's a, a subspecies of the Chinese tiger beetle, just like metallic rainbow, go figure. You know, it's not, not cliche or anything, but yeah, they're they're pretty awesome. And uh, I, I remember my office mate took me to a special spot in Ohio where there are these big sand dunes, and you can catch. I think I caught five different species in the area because there's like a wow. woodland species. There's one that's like white and black that lives only on the dunes, and. Yeah, it was pretty cool. You make this all sound very exciting. My and like actually crazy. I'm like feeling like I'm like, oh, I want to go out and catch some bugs now in nature. Same. I'm, I'm not an, afraid anymore. I'm well, an indoorsy kind of guy, Kyle. So wow. this is this is bad. I've turned you. You've turned ooh, you've turned me. <laughs> uh do you want to dedicate this episode to the the tiger beetle? To the super gay tiger tiger beetle? Yes. Yeah. Sisandella chinensis japonica. Let's do it. 
Let's do it. Yeah. We've already heard the explanation of it. Uh, So in in the animal kingdom, there is homosexuality. Does that exist with any kind of insect? Uh, Well, you know, in higher animals, like the mammals, they definitely have relationships develop, like between penguins. You know, we've heard those stories and whatnot. But um, in the insect world, it's a little more carnal. Like the one example that always comes to mind when that is brought up is bed bugs um bed bugs do what we call traumatic insemination it's terrifying what yes so the, no it's terrifying the females don't have an opening for that and <gasps> so the males have a very sharp uh appendage that they basically stab through the female's exoskeleton and try to aim it into you know the specific spot where it's going to do some good and then they uh they fertilize her that way, like literally through the abdomen wall. And does she just like bleed out then? She well, luckily their bodies are kind of adapted so that they heal pretty quickly. But a female will leave a population if the proportion of males is too high, because you know you can only take so much. She's gonna get shanked. <laughs> yeah, she she she, she, <laughs> well, she gets shanked a couple times in one day. I mean, you, know, you you get sore, you get tired, and She's like I'm done. I'm done. I'm over it. <laughs> I'm out of this joint. <laughs> Uh, but males will sometimes do it to other males too. Huh? Fascinating. Wow. Just because I guess they they you know need to stick it in something. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. You're close. You'll do. It sounds fun <laughs> and terrifying, right? And that's how I became gay. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh! Last Saturday night, it's all flashing, flashing back. <laughs> Kyle, you're close. You'll do. <laughs> you are Kyle Jordan. You're absolutely delightful. Do Such you, a delight. Yeah, you are. Uh, Keeping things clean and classy mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. I, just wasn't, I wasn't aware we were allowed to swear. I didn't. I thought we were like on on the uh, you know talk show where it would get bleeped oh, no. out. Uh, Disney refused to uh, <laughs> to, to sponsor to you. sponsor us yeah. uh, after multiple multiple requests. <laughs> so after the restraining way. order. Yeah. Also, oh, I accidentally sat on one of the singing rodents. So <laughs> game over. Yeah, we're they, not. We're never welcome back. <laughs> They frown upon that. <laughs> they really do. Uh, but Kyle, this has been such a delight. Thank you so much for being part of the Gaberhood today. Thank you for yeah. inviting me. This was a, a really nice break from the conference. <laughs> I'm glad that it worked out. Do you have uh, a social media presence where you show what you do? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm pretty quiet. I, I have a Facebook page and that's about it. I don't, I don't assume that anyone is so interested in my life that they want to follow the details of it. But, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. No, do you, don't you. Uh, okay. So you can't find Kyle anywhere but I'm here. I'm invisible. Yeah. They actually made me up. I'm a character actor. <laughs> I don't know anything about bugs. I'm reading from a script. <laughs> we did some, Sam and I did some last minute research and I'm glad it, it sounds legit. Yeah. It took me f- like four tries to pronounce ephemeroptera. <laughs> yeah. Sip string. You know, we tell him, pretend like it, it, it's supposed to sound like a dinosaur. And he got it as soon as that. So I'm, I'm good at giving directions, yeah. is what I learned from today. Well, in the words of the Japonica, <laughs> whether you are LGBT or an ally, as long as you have a little gay in your heart, you will always be welcome in the gayborhood. I'm Sam Meyer. I'm Anthony Douglas. Don't let anyone dull your sparkle. We love you.